Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is an intro to part two of my conversation with Justin Lee about Christianity and technology. If you haven't heard part one of our conversation, I hope you will go back, actually, and listen to that first, because it is two parts of, of the same conversation that I just uh, broke up in the interest of time. But in this part two, um, Justin and I have now pivoted from some of our discussion about the challenge that technology and distraction has brought into ordinary life. And now we kind of are shifting to discuss the resources in the Christian tradition, the Christian faith, to thinking about what we should do from here. How should we move forward and address some of these things in our own habits and practices? So I hope you enjoy this part two of our conversation on Christianity and technology. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll catch uh, part one before you get to this part. As Christians, we, we interact with a deep contemplative tradition of not just scripture reading or sermon hearing, but meditation on the word, prayer that is not um, hasty or just sort of consumer driven. I need this, Lord, I need mm -hmm. that. Um, just trying to just trying to meet in any way the life that we actually want for ourselves how hard is that yeah it's the hardest thing ever i mean it's um for i think for obvious reasons uh, because it it requires work you don't just passively become a saint and so anything that is a passive diversion in your life you know is I mean, if we just think about things just in terms of spiritual warfare, for instance, um, you know, the enemy wants nothing more than to keep you distracted all the time. And, and so, and even if he wasn't there, we'd do it to ourselves. But, um, you know, so much of what is the world and what is antithetical to Christ is um, designed to, to disrupt sustained attention. You could probably carry that, you know, that, that kind of condensed idea out and, and look at almost any aspect of brokenness in the world mm -hmm. and, and, see, and see that there is a fragmentation, a disruption of narrative, a disruption of the ability to have a sustained focus on the good uh, in whatever area of life we're, we're looking at. Yeah, I mean, surely anything like pornography is a substitute or replacement for yeah. the ability to sustain a deep, meaningful relationship yeah. with uh, person, uh, a spouse, and, or what have you. And it, porn is incredibly anti-narrative. Right. You know, it's it's completely um, fragmented. You know, it's just the act. Mm. And and even when it's not, that's all people watch. Right. So so it's premised on harvesting out of the narrative that a normal embodied life has, including yeah. a narrative of intimacy, love relationships. Um, harvesting the instant or yeah. an activity or whatever the yeah. case may be. C cultivating only the peaks. Yeah. And yeah, so, uh, this is and then, me... and then making it, just going back to sort of the neural thing, mm -hmm. making it less and less um, 
obvious or or amenable to engage in long-term attention to one yeah. other person yeah right um intimately and otherwise mm-hmm. um and we see this in any number of sort of i was talking about recently um east asian cultures that are dating less and less um the mm-hmm. rise of an availability of certain kinds of of porn in those cultures and the normalcy or the yeah. normalization of that um, has made it so that fertility rates have dropped, marriage rates have plummeted, they're no longer um, producing enough children to even replace themselves in the next yeah. generation, et cetera, et cetera. Crisis levels, government intervention, yeah, whatever, well, any in, number of things. And in places like South Korea and Japan, who are incredibly averse to immigration, um, you mm-hmm. know, we're, we're literally seeing cultures die without replacement. And, you know, whereas, you know, Europe and the U.S. are not far, you know, are not far behind in terms of birth rates, but, uh, um, you know, but because we have higher immigration levels, um, you know, that, that vacuum that's opening up beneath the culture, beneath the civilization is less apparent. Right. Okay, so then we have a, okay, so if we could say then that being distracted is anti-narrative. Mm-hmm is anti-human on uh, and the level if you understand as a christian mm-hmm. um that a human fully alive is an incarnate you know being yeah. created with a uh, as a part of an elaborate narrative mm-hmm. of not just an individual narrative but of a family a community of faith uh society any number of things so there's yeah there's an a- there's an aspect of this that that, that i want to point out real quick mm-hmm. um a, a neurological aspect um, and that's, you know, the, our incredibly, you know, well-adapted ability to be distracted uh, is a survival mechanism. Um, it, it's there, you know, it, it exists to be a response to threat. And so when we're constructing hmm. a world to keep us in distraction, um, you know, at this kind of base, you know, if you want to use the word evolutionary, at this base evolutionary level, base biological level, uh, we're constructing a world that makes us feel as if we're always under threat. Mm. And, um, and, and, then, and then we wonder why people are so anxious all the time. And the, and the reports, let's say, for teenagers, yeah. number one reason is fear of missing out. Yeah. But that is a threat. Mm-hmm. I'm going to miss out. I'm going to not be included. I'm going to be overlooked. I'm going to be unpopular. I'm going to be disregarded. Yeah. Um, my life's going to have less and less meaning. I'm going to be less and less loved um, mm-hmm. because I'm not connected. Yeah. Because I'm not always on. Um, or or I'm not looking like I'm supposed to look. Or yeah. meeting the people who are successful in that, yeah. in that world. Yeah. And then being always on yeah. only increases that feeling. Right. Only increases that fear. So the so we've designed it or intentionally, accidentally, whatever, um, so that this hasn't just been, this isn't coincidental with the age yeah. of anxiety. It's productive of the age of anxiety. Yeah. Um, the age of mental health illness, again, this is most obvious in kids, mm-hmm. where you can see that the greater social media use is an increase of depression by 30% yeah. in most groups, greater among women even than boys, um, and <clears throat> any number of other health, mental health indicators, suicidality, everything else. Um, it's recent data, finally, but now that we have some, um, mm. it's always bad, right? It's always saying that. Uh, young people are in a state of constant threat, like mm-hmm. convinced 
threat yeah. um, that the world has imploded or could implode at any moment if if they are shunned, rejected, um, ridiculed, yeah. attacked. Um, they, you know, the the ability to feel that kind of constriction or that compression they may be more vulnerable to it, mm-hmm. but what you're saying is this is, is simply what's happening just biologically to yeah. every age um, yeah. that has adopted a distraction as its modus operandi, that, that that's just how we roll. Right, and so, so in the, uh, the Cal Newport book, um, his most recent book, Digital Minimalism, uh, which is really shaping my thinking and my practices mm. um, you, you know, around tech, uh, something he talks about is... You know, so, so early on in the book, he talks about he encourages the reader to participate in uh, a digital declutter. You know, where you, you know, you strip away every app, every you know piece of technology, piece of uh, you know digital technology that you use that's not absolutely essential to your work or to your personal life. Um, you get rid of it for thirty days, and then you begin to add things back in. Um, that actually support the things that you most value, um, and uh, and not just kind of support it, but you know you you optimize your engagement with with every new technology so that it's promoting a value, so that it's helping you cultivate um, habits that um, help you live out that value, and so you know common sense stuff, um, but something that he found. Uh, and this is, you know, most true for younger people. Uh, he did a study with like 1,600 people uh, that did this. And what he found is that for, especially with younger people, um, you know, they didn't just not know what their values were. So when they get rid of the tech, it's just like, what, what do I do with myself? Uh, you know, it's, it's also, who am I? Um, but but just at the base at the base level of what what am I going to do with my time, they didn't know because they didn't know what they valued. They didn't know what they liked to do. Uh, they didn't have hobbies, and and that and that was deeply frightening to a lot of people. Uh, and that that sort of thing, not having those underlying values, was most predictive of who would drop out of the study, mm. uh, if I remember correctly. There's a quote, and maybe you remember this, but I just read the other day, I forget who it's from, um, but somebody responding to the age of self-promotion, self-promotion amongst mm-hmm. young people, and it was a, I think it was maybe a professor, and they said, what self do they have to promote? Yeah. Right? They haven't formed a self yet, yeah. and by the age of zero, whatever, um, we're expecting them to express that self, even though yeah. it hasn't even been cultivated, it hasn't been formed. What, what exactly are we inhibiting by not allowing them to promote or, or yeah. express themselves? Yeah. And that's to that well, point, that there, there isn't anything there. Yeah, well, confronting that fact, confronting the fact that there is just the abyss. Instead of said <laughs> back, we're going to return to it. Circle back to the abyss. I mean, we're... Bring your 10-year-old right up to the edge of yeah. the abyss. Look, look, Billy. <laughs> look deeply. Look deeply in, Billy. Billy? Into the no self, and yeah. and understand that it's looking back into you, <laughs> because it is already in you. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. This is now we're Christians, so we don't actually believe that. that we, we believe in a different kind of abyss. Okay, no, but I mean, like, we're not. We don't. We believe that you have to become. Yeah. For example, 
a disciple. Yeah, you, you have you, to become. To quote Kierkegaard, you are only a self insofar as you are a self before God. Right. And so you have to, so it is not, I mean, you might want to say metaphysically or, or otherwise image of God inherent, but that is not how it is experienced or understood mm-hmm. outside of, ultimately outside of the cultivation of that self. Yeah. Um, and we're Christians, so the cultivation of that self in light of who Christ is and who he has mm-hmm. called us to be. Um, and so the idea, and maybe this is, we could kind of make this turn onto evangelical lane. So evangelicalism has been conflated or confused with or blamed for being just sort of um, salvationism, mm-hmm. right? Um, you get saved, you'll go to heaven, you get your mm-hmm. golden ch- ticket to the, the Wonka factory, and, mm-hmm. you're all, and you're good, right? So you believe all the right things, now go about your business, right? Go about your life. And... One of the things evangelicals have done less well or been less aware of even in their own tradition is the unbelievably important uh, world of cultivating virtues, habits that actually comprise discipleship, comprise someone yeah. who is increasing in their maturity to be more and more conformed into so, the image of Christ. So why is this a, a feature of evangelicalism in a way that it's not necessarily a feature of, uh, of other traditions within you know i mean yeah other, yeah i have a lot of thoughts but yeah what do you think no i i, I mean a historical okay so yeah. so evangelicalism for its and again it's usually something positive that's gone negative right yeah by emphasizing what i think is absolutely essential which is the immediate connection and the access any person any class any whatever background has into the presence of god to salvation from god mm-hmm saved by grace, you know, not our own merits by God, Um, all of the good true things about a personal Mm -hmm. relationship, not quote-unquote a religion, um, get taken so far that it becomes a religion of amnesia, of Mm -hmm. anti-intellectualism, of anti-historicism, and not just because the big bad world, but we don't really care or know, even our Mm -hmm. own recent history of 150 years, 200 years, if that, um, we certainly don't know um, our church history, so we're yeah. not connected to the saints through time and space in the way we actually are, according to the creeds mm-hmm. um, and the Lord. Uh, so we we do not need nor depend on almost anybody. It's the yeah. self-reliance Americanism of of Christianity that, again, in its in its most p- beautiful form, means there aren't any gatekeepers between you and the living God. And it's an incredible realization. Um, Nonetheless, that realization is meant to open you up to the wide world of Christianity and the wide world of Mm -hmm. the saints and the wide world of the church and everything else in a way that just doesn't often get emphasized, let's say, in in evangelical churches or something, right? Pastors are less and less likely to be trained, less and less likely to have gone to seminary, less mm-hmm. and less likely to study church history. Mm-hmm. Um, that might not always be fair, but in general, yeah, no, that's that's okay. that's fair. And and I would add that they don't know languages, and it's and it's absolutely embarrassing. And well, and the not knowing of languages is also a a subtle form of uh, or a lack of humility. Yeah. To to learn a language, to learn Greek, certainly to learn Hebrew. My gosh is to humble yourself before the great tradition and the fact mm-hmm. that this is this was passed down yeah. and that you need to know carefully how to decipher these things by learning someone else's language and someone else's context and someone yeah. else's world and that does not vibe well with 
pure American individualism, or yeah. even a bootstrap Christianity, just get on with it, if, or whatever. If Jesus spoke English, it's good enough for me. It's good enough for me. The king is uh, English, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so, okay, there are any number of things. Well, and, and there's one, one other big aspect Sorry. that's, I think, worth getting at, too. Sure. Um, you know, and that's the issue of confession and liturgy, you know. Um, you know, even, even though liturgical practices can atrophy and become really staid and, you know, become a substitute for, for real intimacy, um, at their healthiest, you know, they, they facilitate attention. They facilitate this meditative focus in community, um, in a narrative. You know, li- I mean, liturgies live out. Explain what liturgy is. Yeah, so you, you, you probably can a little bit, a little bit more clearly. Um, but when I say liturgy, I, I have in mind the, the handed down, um, you know, very symbolic ritualistic practices that are, that are just packed with meaning, uh, within a given tradition. And, and evangelicalism yeah. at least has still baptism mm-hmm. and communion yeah. as loaded liturgical moments yeah. uh, that are fundamental for Christian identity and orientation. Yeah. But but the but, way we practice yeah, them, right? You know, so so for instance, at you know what church I attended when I was in high school, um, it had a pretty vibrant youth group, had a lot of healthy things going on. Um, but uh, one of the unhealthy things was the way they did communion. Uh, we didn't take communion together. Hmm. Uh, you know, you know the uh, electric guitars start going up on the stage, right. and you know lights go down. And you know, I think they turn the 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 AC up just a little bit, so Ooh, you get the chills. Yeah, and <laughs> spirits in the room. Yeah, the spirit is present. <laughs> and you know, and it, it, whatever. But but so the you know that's going on, and then everyone, and then we have like baskets, you know, with you know the communion elements up front, and you and you go when you feel the spirit moving you to come up, pick it up, sit down at the altar by yourself, pray by yourself, or go back to your seat and have it by yourself. And, you know, we're not led through a prayer. We're not led through confession and repentance um, prior. You know, it's this personal thing. It's just about you and the Lord. Hyper-personal. Hyper-personal. And or, or you'd say private. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's always personal, but private. Yeah. It's this private, unique... It's atomized. Right. And, you know, if it's just you and the Lord, it's not the Lord. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's a reason that the Last Supper, you know, was a supper with people there. It wasn't, he didn't, like, break off the disciples into, like, different rooms <laughs> and wash their feet individually right. and then say, here's here's some stuff that you should eat and drink. Right. Um, no, I have yeah. longed to share this meal with y'all. With, yeah. With you y'all. guys, with you folk. Yeah. Uh, no, this is a really good point. So the evangelical church, especially since the 80s and 90s, has also been oriented around the same distractive technologies and principles that have been successful in the business world or in the entertainment yeah. world. It's always a lesser version with a lesser budget done poorly, but boy, howdy, do we try Unless to you're imitate... <laughs> Boy, how do we try to imitate a level of spiritualized distraction, yeah. lights, sounds, especially just sounds, volume yeah. levels. Um, one of the most interesting things in the TechWise family by Andy Crouch, please read this book, 
um, that he says, and it's at the end. Dave, a, Dave is getting a nominal fee every book. time he... I get nothing for anything <laughs> I do. Let me just put, make that very clear. Um, but one of the things he says is, one of the things they, they try to practice as a family is communal singing. Yeah. And he says, and we realized that um, over, over the course of our church uh, attending as just Protestants in this world, mm-hmm. um, there are always in environments in which amplification completely drowns out the sounds yeah. of human voices, right? Yeah. And so they cultivated something in their home with communal singing that uh, was not in play in their church environments, which would drown out with levels of auditory bombast. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the point was to create an emotional experience, private yeah. emotional experience for you during youth group or just regular service, right? Mm-hmm. You get your Hillsong, your Bethel, whatever moment mm-hmm. of just emotional, like, oh my gosh, me and you, Lord. Um, and one of the things he recommends at the end is trying to slowly convince your church to just do yeah. communal singing again and taking amplification all the way down so that other people can hear each other's voices in common together, learning mm-hmm. to sing these songs. You know, one of the one of the standard practices, you know, for a long time with hymns has been that, you know, with the uh, you know the the third verse, um, you know, the the organ stops, the piano stops, right. and it's all, it's all a cappella, for that reason. Um, so so there's a, there's another aspect of this in terms of continuity through time that um, I want to highlight with an example. Mm-hmm. And so, so we both, you know, have a beloved uh, professor, uh, Michelle Latiole, mm. um, who, um, who, uh, not a, not a believer. Um, her her late husband had grown up in the church, though, and um, and fallen away uh, from the faith, but retained certain things. And she has she had a uh, an anecdote she shared with me not too long ago. Uh, about one time where her husband and his sister, his sister had come to visit, I'm pretty sure it was his sister, um, and neither of them believers now, but they just spent time singing hymns together. Neither of them were believers, but, but that was just still a bonding thing, an experience um, that united them and gave them a sense of continuity with their past. And... You know, people who fall away from evangelicalism, you know, don't get together and like, you know, nostalgically sing, Oceans. you know, yeah, <laughs> good, good father. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that doesn't happen. Yeah, and yeah. and there's a reason that doesn't happen, and and that's you know this atomized individualist focus. Yeah, they weren't shared to begin with. Yeah, they were never shared. Yeah, they were they were my my personal experience, my emotional encounter. I I think I mean it would be it would be a revolution if churches of any size started to bring down amplification and started yeah. to really engage in communal singing and and just let you know we all got bad voices at different yeah. levels or whatever that's also just true right like yeah. it's just who we are we have bodies they're not all beautiful like they, we got our mm-hmm. lumps and our bruises and whatever um, but man like to retain that it reminds me of when we. Um, go at Christmas time to the nursing home down the street, and it's mm. always true. I mean, you know, Christmas hymns are among the richest, most unbelievably profound yeah. theological statements a person could engage in, and it's always true that the deeper and deeper we get into the um, the memory loss and dementia wards at this particular mm. nursing home, 
um, the more and more amazing it is to see people who are otherwise um, not even verbal mm -hmm. um, clearly clearly um, saying and singing the words, mm -hmm. mouthing the words as we sing, mm -hmm. um, you know, O Little Town of Bethlehem or, mm -hmm. um, you know, O Holy Night. Uh, unbelievable to see an awakening in a soul who's, you know, 85 years into the course of their life mm -hmm. and maybe for years has not communicated with other people yeah. um, that is so dependent on and needy of mm -hmm. constant care and attention and everything else and has almost disappeared somewhere into themselves as a yeah. self that people are, have trouble accessing. Yeah. To see in those moments that mm -hmm. the liturgy of true worship, of true, yeah. the, the things we're singing... They may be Christmas songs. They are the most true things anyone could sing. Mm -hmm. And and to see that awaken and to know just for a moment that that woman or that man is is like five years old again, standing next to their parents mm -hmm. with the hymn book in their hand, singing without any speakers yeah. in a congregation week in, week out. And it is one of the last things left in their yeah. mind, in their memory, in their experience. And then it's being shared with us. We bring mm -hmm. our kids. My two-year-old is running around. We have seven-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 12-year-olds. And they see that. They see mm -hmm. there's this incredible thing there just in, and we have bad voices, and we don't bring mics mm -hmm. because why would anyone want to <laughs> amplify that sound? Um, and yet hearing those voices, everyone longs to assist, to join mm -hmm. in, to connect. Um, and it's just it's hard to even describe how how special that kind of mm -hmm. connection is. That's what we mean by liturgy. Yeah. That is not something that needs to be just for high church Anglicans mm -hmm. or Catholics or Eastern Orthodox or anybody who's sort of professionalized the liturgy as like yeah. their thing. Um, that is just a choice of song selection. Mm -hmm. That's a choice of amplification. That's a choice of minimizing distractions and and letting the body be together when yeah. it's actually together instead of instead of like a family where everyone takes their phone into a different mm -hmm. room and is on their devices like that surely is the experience of many people at church an yeah. anonymity of alone together mm -hmm. um, that doesn't feel essential kind yeah. of connection that always feels like I'm kind of overlooked anyway why don't yeah. I just stay home um, yeah, well, and, and this is why there's been such a resurgence of interest in liturgy, um, especially among younger Christians, uh, is because there's, this, there's a void that needs to be filled. Um, you, know, there's, you know, there's a way in which evangelical culture and the wider secular culture is, is, has been willing itself you know, into the dementia ward. Um, you know, by taking away those practices that support deep memory and deep focus. And, you know, and, what, you know, when we talk about just dementia, just Alzheimer's or that sort of thing, almost anyone says that's the most terrifying thing in the world to me. Sure. And, and, yet, and yet we're constructing culture to reproduce that. Mm. And Church culture, too. Church culture too, and, and 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 we shouldn't even dignify it with the word culture. It's it's, it's anti culture, and church experience. Yeah, we have to be if we want to survive. The church wants to survive and, and be salt and light. Um, then we need to be able to have sustained focus. Um, we were talking before we started this. I remember being 
you know, in high school. And, and really, I mean, you know, I'd been a reader, but I didn't really f- become a reader uh, and fall in, love, fall in love with literature until I read Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And when I, le- when I read Lord of the Rings, I would just, I would disappear into these books and, and emerge hours later, and it had gotten dark, and I'd just been reading, squinting, you know, not even, you know, willing to, you know, turn the lamp on right next to me because I'm so trapped inside the text. Um, and I, I realized recently that I can't do that anymore. Um, I, 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 I haven't been that lost in a book in that way I, and, and for so long. And I read and write professionally. It's, it's the most important thing that there is to me. And, and that's because of the phone. That's because of social media. Uh, that's because of all this crap that has literally been designed to keep me from the thing that I enjoy most doing in the world. Um, it's been designed to thwart, you know, the system of deep values that define who I am as a person. And that should, to some extent, divide, <laughs> define almost everybody. Um, Someone asked me, and I was meeting with a group of pastors in this area, and we're going around a table saying how long we preach. Mm-hmm. And I think the highest number in the room was 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it got to me, and I said, uh-oh. Um, <laughs> if I'm really sharp and on my game, 55 minutes, yeah. right? Which is true. Um, and there was laughter and whatever, and and there was just like a quiz, like, what's wrong with you? Like, why would you be so stupid? And it wasn't, you know, because I'm very aware of pastor world, so sometimes mm-hmm. you preach long because you're underprepared, right? Like, there, yeah. there is a whole thing there that I yeah. totally recognize that it could also just mean you're lazy, you don't know how to yeah. study, you don't know how to prepare a sermon, so you just talk. Yeah. Okay, so fair enough. And at my weakest, surely that's what that is at certain moments. But, um, but I told him, no, that's my, my goal is, is a 50, 55-minute sermon on mm-hmm. Thursday nights, right? Because nights are a little different, too. But even Sunday morning, 45 to 50 is my goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, if I, if I just nail everything. Um, and they're looking at me like nobody pays attention. Nobody could possibly pay attention that long. Mm-hmm. And, and they knew I wasn't saying, oh, I'm just super sloppy, <laughs> you know, and I, yeah. I'm like really try hard, you mm-hmm. know, to hit a certain spot, but the spot isn't 30 minutes and not to be whatever pious or whatever, but it, it really was, I want, um, time in church to be more like you reading Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I want it to be enough time to walk intentionally out of the places we have found ourselves mm-hmm. into the world of the text, not just as an exercise of rational whatever, um, or even historical engagement, um, mm-hmm. but both historical, experiential, personal, and then to slowly emerge back mm-hmm. into the world by the end mm-hmm. of the sermon. Um, I want that to be the experience. To me, that is what protestantism can bring to Mm -hmm. a liturgical performance the emphasis Mm -hmm. on the word need not be something other than liturgy need to be Mm -hmm. just intentionally the narrative experience of immersion in a more true and more vivid and more present story that is already always the case and it is a metaphysical immersion i mean it is you know when we take communion we are literally closer in time to uh, the passion of Christ mm. um, than we are when we are not. 
um, you know, it's, there is something real beyond description uh, that is happening when we do it, and when we do it in community, um, especially, uh, that, that tethers us through history, uh, through, through the body, through the heart and soul of every believer that's come before us, every story that's been lived out before our story. Uh, we're all connected in this greater story. So I think we could say, to close, that this isn't about um, making anyone feel guilty. This isn't about... A little. Um, <laughs> just okay. a little. Just a little. I need, I need that need guilt. We need to make ourselves I need, guilty. I right, need yeah. a Christian little bit guilt. of that guilt. That sort of productive guilt, at least, to confession Not shame, and repentance. But, nah, shame yeah. is boring anyway. Um, no, yeah, guilt that leads to confession and repentance. But guilt that leads to true change. Mm-hmm. Um, that whatever I hope for my son... I, I better be working hard at to be make true of myself. Whatever I hope for my people yeah. at my church, I better make sure that I'm working hard in my private uh, habits and practices to make possible in my own life or in my own family. If I want that for someone else's family when I'm counseling, um, I better make sure uh, that I am addressing that in my own family. And then, like you said, there is real God-led power in a community mm-hmm. recognizing that, you know what, one of the things it means to be the church and not the world is to resist these things that mm-hmm. are assumed or unthinking, habits, practices, or addictions, mm-hmm. um, and that this could be a really cool place of witness. It could be a really mm-hmm. refreshing place of being able to say, yeah, totally, here's what I've done because I am equally prone to such and so, um, but that this could be one of the most profound ways we even reach our neighbor because we identify with the, the sea of distraction and the power of that title and that rip current. Um, and to be able to say that and to say, but we're working really hard in this direction and we're doing that because we believe what you just said is true, that, that mm-hmm. this is actually true. It's not just, this will help me actualize my own blah, 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 or this will help me be a more successful person in the world. Um, but as Christians, we believe this is true and that yeah. anything else is a lie, yeah. is, an un, is an incomplete sentence, is an unfinished thought um, between us mm-hmm. and, and God and our neighbor. Um, so, so thinking of this as a not just individual, but a communal response um, to a time and place in history, I think, could give people some hope, even if it's yeah. just a few people uh, well, and it's, <laughs> clumped here. And, and there. this isn't just a thing that's incidental right. to what it is to be a Christian. This isn't a thing that that you and I are just recommending to people. This is, you know, I would argue very strongly, this is the command of Christ um, to to live intentionally. You know, I mean, if we're, if we're meant to imitate him, I mean, you cannot imagine him getting up early in the morning before the sun rises to go out and commune with the Father and bringing his smartphone with him. <laughs> um, so there is, there is a command here, I believe. Yeah, I mean, we could even say, uh, even in the scene of when Jesus does that in the morning before his arrest, yeah. um, or the evening, <laughs> right, the, the counterpoint is the, uh, the disciples fall asleep. Yeah. Right? They're unable to focus. They yeah. cannot pray with him. They cannot sustain yeah. that attention. They cannot stay focused, even when he directly asks them to. Like, hey, this yeah. is really important. <laughs> it's the most important moment of your whole life, maybe. Um, and they all fall asleep, right? Yeah. They all are, are in that, that other kind of distracted state of kind of lazy attention, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in that moment, it really is the difference between him fulfilling the will of God, the will of the yeah. Father for our salvation, and them almost falling out of the story. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, being perilously close to falling yeah. out of the story and, right and there. And they didn't have smartphones. And they didn't they, they, would, they wouldn't have made it through dinner. Smartphones. They just had a good meal. They, <laughs> they, 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 they would have they they asked Jesus to subscribe. Um, <laughs> Thank you and click the link to subscribe. It's good seeing you, Lord. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Okay, let's close and recommend a few books. Um, for um, people to keep this conversation going, maybe with themselves and other people, if they're yeah. interested. Yeah, so just the ones that we mentioned so far. Yeah. Um, I mean, Cal, Cal Newport's Deep Work as latest, um, uh, Digital Minimalism, uh, somewhat older but still important book, um, The Shallows by Nicholas Carr. Yeah, a very good book. Um, and then the one I keep repping is, again, The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. You do not need a family to read this book. Just read this book. Super practical, but deeply infused with the kind of theological thinking that we were starting to approach, at least. And he does yeah. an incredibly good job at talking about embodiment and incarnation and mm -hmm. why we would do this um, as Christians in a, with a similar kind of emphasis, I think, that you're making here at the end, that it's kind of what it means to be Christian. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to be a Christian without this. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that's enough motivation and yeah. would you add anything else to this? Yeah, I would I would just encourage um, people to read um, within the Christian contemplative tradition mm. and you know which is a massive tradition and but uh, two things I've been reading are The Cloud of Unknowing and um, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis and you know you you read this stuff and you know and you just see these are people who can, they can sit and think and think upon Christ um, and never get tired of it, um, never feel the urge to do something else. And, and that's something that, you know, I aspire to. I cannot do that. Mm. I really want to be able to do that. And, Cloud of Unknowing, uh, Imitation of Christ, Thomas Akempis, um, Showings, Julianne of Norwich, there's an incredibly deep tradition, um, but any number of, of those kinds of texts, any, any deep work like that, it really does show you the capacity of, yeah. of a Christian open to that kind of attention to the Lord. Um, yeah. Many more things to think about, I'm sure, but thank you, uh, everybody, for joining us on this yep. conversation, and we hope you will join us for the next one. Thank you so much for joining us today, everybody. If you found any of this interesting, we do hope you will share the podcast, that you will rate us on iTunes with those five sweet stars, and, and that you will subscribe, and that you will tell your friends and your neighbors and your relatives and your mother Lois to subscribe, and your sweet, sweet grandmother, old grandmother Eunice. Eunice should definitely subscribe. Until next time, may you live well think well, and love well. Godspeed.